Thanks for joining me today on the Stronger Podcast, where every week I do my best to have conversations at the kitchen table that help take both you and I forward towards living a life full of meaning and substance. We can't all live perfect lives. I know I haven't. Actually, very few do. You will find yourself really disappointed if you try. But what I propose is we live a life full of meaning in the middle of whatever we face. I'm your host, Jeremiah, and today I want to share with you my why. Not just why I'm doing a podcast or I'm speaking up now, which I've got to be honest, wasn't a meticulously planned thing, but more my why, my reason for wanting to help people around the themes of resilience, stronger mental health, and living a meaningful life. I'm so grateful for the current global conversation of racism and injustice. I can honestly say it has been extremely triggering. It has caused much pain, but also much healing. It is the first time in my life that I've been able to voice inner torment that I have experienced, but never been courageous enough to say out loud, this is all new to me. I've been through incredibly challenging seasons in my life and through my books and my other platforms, we will explore a variety of topics that help us live a meaningful life. But through the many low moments, the one that stands out to me more than any other are times where I know I experienced injustice because I am not white. Immigrating to Australia when I was a little kid, I had no concept of being different until it was pointed out to me. On a playground, even though my best friend Scott was white, there were bullies that would tell me to go back to where I came from. I quickly caught on that being brown was a disadvantage. I've been called many names, from being called curry muncher to being called the N-word. It became something that although I tried to ignore, at a foundational level, I would look in the mirror and wish I was not. I wish so many times over the years that I wasn't the color that I am. I imagined being wealthy or powerful or something else so that I could override this disadvantage. And I think what is hard for people to understand who aren't a person of color is that in a Western culture, color is a disadvantage. It just is. It's not up for debate. Eventually, I suppose I found my pacing and worked to build a life for myself. I wasn't going to be an excuses person. I moved to the US assuming it would be at least similar to Australia or New Zealand. It wasn't. In fact, to give you an idea of how far backwards, one day I had a couple of African-American friends over at my house playing basketball with me. The neighbors came over, furious, complained to my mom saying, these people shouldn't be here. They aren't allowed in this city. Referring to Columbia, Illinois, they were really upset and worked up. My family lived there, but I stopped shopping in the neighborhood, eating in that neighborhood, or even going into the post office. Those who knew me will remember that even after church on a Sunday, I would drive 30 to 40 minutes to go somewhere else to go eat lunch. It's just the way it was. People seem to want to celebrate diversity. I can't think of anything worse because I've always tried really hard to blend in. Only a privileged perspective would assume that minorities want to celebrate their difference. The psychology of those of us who are minorities is we actually just want to blend in and not stand out. Anyway, I did the best I could. I've always been a person that wanted to help people. My parents were missionaries in small villages in the remote part of the Philippines, just practically helping people. 
I followed in their footsteps, founded a charitable organization in the US, and through that, a team and I ran programs for those who were incredibly disenfranchised in both Illinois and Missouri. From soup kitchens to renovating a government primary school in a poor part of the city to providing school programs in poor Latino communities, the list really keeps going. There was so much good. Unfortunately, during a season where I was already going through personal challenges, I made the mistake of entering into a business relationship with someone I didn't know well. Looking back, there would be so many things I would change. I entered into an agreement that if I could go back, I know I would avoid it altogether. I absolutely take responsibility for a lack of wisdom, discernment, but criminal? People smarter than me have studied my case, and in any other jurisdiction, absolutely not. But in the United States, you are able to weaponize the criminal justice system when you want to attack someone. It's taken a long time for me to be able to finally say this, even though I hear my own inner Western world critic. But now I know I was targeted and treated harshly because I was and am a person of color. Justice is supposed to be about freedom, fairness, proportionality. The legal system, when it's related to criminal sentencing, is supposed to be about punishment that supports a personal and community deterrent as well as a form of restitution. For example, someone I mentored till today is serving a sentence from a drug crime. The sentence is there to ensure he doesn't do it again, others won't try to do it, and hopefully anyone affected feels like they've been compensated. In reality, this doesn't work at all. Why does this not work? Put bluntly, the system is manipulated by economics. The color of my skin made me a target. I stood out. My lack of financial capability, however, afforded me pathetic legal advice. It's easy for people to say, oh, you should have known better. Well, when you go to a hospital, you trust doctors. When you have never been to court in your life, you are completely trusting that lawyers know best and have your best interest. And I can guarantee you that some do not. The minute they sense you cannot afford their service, they will decline your case. Or more specifically, they'll advise you plead guilty. And this is exactly what happened to me. I pled guilty to a crime because my lawyer gave me two options. He said, fight the case, but they will also charge several other people close to me and it will cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, which he knew I didn't have, or I plead guilty. In Australia, a prominent QC that represented me called my parents the day before he was supposed to represent me in court and said he had to have $10,000 in his trust account by close of business or he wasn't going to show up. This was not a late bill. This was just in case money. It is a statistical fact in the US, whites do not get the same sentences as people of color. Based on a University of Michigan Law School study into racial disparity in federal criminal sentences, on average, if a white man gets 55 months for a sentence, a black man will get 90 months for the same crime. Federal cases, regardless of country, are always won by the government. They have endless resources and ultimately each case is for building the political resume of the prosecutor or the judge involved. In my journey... I had it in an email from my lawyer that I was not going to go to prison. And I trusted that surely the right outcome would eventuate. But instead, I was given an extremely harsh sentence. 
The deterrent was irrelevant as I wasn't planning on crimes in the first place or in the future. And the restitution was impossible because you've taken years of my life as payment rather than anything practical, you've wiped a person completely out. Is this justice? Justice. (laughs) Rapists would come and go within a few months. Pedophiles get 18 months in some cases. For example, the high-profile Jeffrey Epstein. The federal authorities identified that he had abused 36 specific girls, but they knew of 80 or more. Some as young as 14. How long was his sentence for abusing 36 to 80 children? Well, while most convicted sex offenders in Florida are sent to state prison, Epstein was instead housed in a private wing of the Palm Beach County stockade. His cell door was always left unlocked. And after just three and a half months, he was allowed to leave on work release program. While on probation, he was allowed trips on his private jet to his residences in Manhattan and the US Virgin Islands. He was allowed long shopping trips and to walk around Palm Beach for exercise. His driver also drove him in his luxury vehicles to his office and homes. What was my exercise while I was in prison? In East St. Louis, I never saw sunlight for six months, not once. Contrast three and a half months with how George Floyd was treated. Contrast that with how Breonna Taylor was treated. Contrast it with the 27 years a young man in my jail cell received for holding up a mechanic shop, shooting no one. Or how about the almost three years I was in three supermax facilities? Justice? I don't think it's a justice system. I don't even think it's a legal system. It's an economic system. It always has been. Colonization was about economics. Slavery was about economics. Prison and policing, it's just economics. Have you ever noticed that on the evening news every day, they seem to report the same idiotic news pieces, some random theft or a car accident? Real world injustices get about 30 seconds and earthquake somewhere far away will get 15 seconds. But there will be a whole segment on an arrest in the suburbs. Why? Because the news is just the propaganda arm of the policing and political segments of our society. In St. Louis, where I lived, annually one third of the general fund of the city went towards the police. Think about that for a moment, one third. So as a person of color, do I trust that my government and the authorities will treat me fairly if I found myself in trouble or if I was accused of trouble? I used to. I absolutely do not anymore. I've questioned many times why I had to go through what I went through. I lost everything. Not physical things, I lost that, but I lost so much more. And still till today, the trauma isn't quite over. But similar to when I was a little kid on the playground, I wasn't aware that I had a disadvantage in this system. Well, until it was pointed out to me. A judge said to me, if they could get Osama bin Laden, they could get me. Odd choice of words. But when did white privilege, supremacist, savior, or racist people ever choose their words carefully? A judge, a prosecutor, politician, police, all those titles mean nothing to me. They are positions acquired through handshakes and empty promises. And just because someone holds a title doesn't make them a good person. Perhaps this story will help paint a picture for you. I had already been in prison close to one year. 
one night I was in my cell. It was quiet and I was locked up. My door was locked. I was sitting down and had just written notes in a little textbook that I have. I used to journal to process what I was going through. I'd finished reading my Bible and still remember till today what I was reading. Then all of a sudden, there was a loud bang on my cell door and a guard yelled, Jacob, get up, put your hands up on the wall. I had no shirt or shoes on. I stood up, my heart was racing. Get your hands up, hands up. The metal door flung open and coming into the little cell were five prison guards. A guard who was probably wearing pants too tight pressed me up against the wall and they started yelling at me. Where are the drugs? Show us. I had no idea what they were talking about. Still till today, I've never used any drugs in my life. There was this older Nazi looking fellow with a flat top haircut and he stood about one foot away from my face and he held a pepper spray six inches away. I said, I have nothing. I was just sitting with my book. I told them, you guys can see that. And I said that over and over. They made more of a commotion and then cuffed me. Keep in mind, I'm already in prison. Now I'm cuffed. And they led me outside. They took my glasses off me, so I was disorientated. There were more guards and out into the rain, they marched me. I had no idea what to do or even what to say. It was me and about 10 officers of the law. They led me to a medical wing and the nurse saw me from afar and asked, why you bring him here? The SO said, he had a fit and he was injecting, he's high. She straight away in a clear commanding voice said, he isn't high. The SO said, how do you know? I can tell you that he isn't a drug user. He grumbled, so did the flat top guy and he told her she had to check me and get the evidence that they wanted. My blood pressure was checked. It was literally 120 over 80. Check again, the same. I sat there dripping wet while being checked for drug use. No puncture wounds or scars, nothing. They waited and eventually she said, I told you. I sat there silent, knowing that I was in a helpless situation in handcuffs. And then to my shock, the SO and the guards changed their story. Well, we got him because he was gonna self-harm. At that, I got so irritated and incensed and raised my voice. So you can't tell the difference between me sitting reading and a person using drugs? So now you change your story and I'm gonna kill myself? You're a joke. And at that, I got dragged off, still in cuffs and got put into isolation. No bed, just a mat on the floor and a metal toilet which didn't flush. I was so angry and bitter and I felt hopeless. This might seem really trivial, but I was also frustrated because the next day it was gonna be the NFL Super Bowl and the prisoners were gonna be able to watch the NFL. I was so wanted to watch it because I wanted to be able to speak about it with my son, just something to feel connected, but now it was taken away from me. After a day of being in a concrete cell on the floor with nothing at all to do, I was marched off to the head of security of the prison. If you're a Seinfeld fan, imagine the scene with Newman in the interrogation room. This guy looked like a bald Newman. I was told to sit in front of him in cuffs. Tell me why you're here, he asked, as though he was a guard at Auschwitz. I replied with intentional sarcasm. Well, you and your colleagues can't tell the difference between a fit and a pen or a person reading and a person using drugs. He slammed his fist on the table. Tell me why you're here. It was like a B-grade comedy scene. I just told you, you can't tell the difference between drug use and no drug use. Oh, he got so mad, slamming his fist again. We're gonna get to the bottom of this. I said, sure, sure, you do that. 
Oh, we will, we will, he said, whatever. After a few days of isolation in a small cell, laying on the floor, I was eventually released and allowed to go back to my jail cell. They tore it up, but obviously no drugs and nor was I ever high. Did this scar me? By this point, I was already a very broken man. And after that night, I lost every ounce of trust for all the entities that were a part of the process that landed me where I was. By no means can I ever compare myself to horrific stories of war and torture, but I picked up a book recently and read it cover to cover in two days. Titled Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. It was phenomenal. As a prisoner in a concentration camp, he shares a story of how even among the SS guards that tortured and killed so many, there were some who took pity on the prisoners. Victor mentions the commander of the camp, took it on himself at risk of his own life to purchase medicine from a nearby town to supply the sick and dying in his camp. He apparently never once hit anyone and in contrast there was a fellow prisoner, a Jewish man, who was appointed as warden who would beat the prisoners mercilessly whenever he could. A quote, from all of this we may learn that there are two races of men in this world, but only these two, the race of the decent man and the race of the indecent man. He describes how into any grouping in society both these races can be found. It will make no difference whether it's skin color, affluence, religion, or political persuasion. What a powerful thought. There is only the decent man and the indecent. What is your disadvantage? Are you a person of color? Are you physically challenged and people have no idea how to interact with you? Did you grow up in poverty? Do you have the wrong resume? Have you been abused? Have you come from a cycle of criminality? Are you an immigrant? Do you have something personal that you consider to be your disadvantage in the community that you currently live in? My life has involved having to overcome my disadvantages. I had to be resilient. I wanted to have stronger mental health and I wasn't interested in living a perfect life. I want to live a meaningful life. Injustice, racism and pain shaped me but I dug deep and I decided that I was stronger than I ever thought. I came home out of the devastation to owning nothing, having nothing to my name. I hoped that people would understand what I'd been through, but in some cases, I was around people who were more interested in reading the stats and the propaganda than they were in me. As a person of color, I've had to prove myself my whole life. I can tell you unequivocally that I will never strive to prove to anyone whether I've learned my lesson or if I'm enough ever again. Because I know the public narrative is not controlled by the weak. Weak. What a weird word. It's not a positive word at all. In fact, it's a word we don't want to ever align ourselves with. But like the weak man who died under the knee of a murderer while three other co-conspirators stood by doing nothing, or the ragged and weak who lived the Holocaust, or so many evil atrocities, or the weak who were slaves, or the weak who had their land and their babies taken from them, I believe the weak can change the world. In fact, I'd go so far as to say the weak are always the catalyst to profound social change. Their lives are not wasted. Somehow, the weak find strength that the strong will never obtain. So my message, my reason 
my why is to point that there is an eternal strength that exists in our temporary weakness. I'm dedicated to helping people acknowledge their disadvantage. And even if it's for the first time, like me right now, you can actually say what it is. But after you've done that, let's now live a life of resilience, stronger mental health, and a meaningful life. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked it, you can let me know via social media and sharing it is great too. If you could subscribe and rate this podcast, it helps get the word out too. I'm really grateful to have so many from all over the world listening into these conversations and I don't take that lightly. I hope you never forget you're stronger than you think.